Father, I would ask that you would help us to really exercise the wisdom that you freely give us as we seek to understand your word to be witnesses or those martyrs for, uh, for you and for the people that they might understand that the things to come can be wonderful and, and full of bright days when we will see you and be united with you. But Lord, there are dark times ahead and there are nefarious characters, those who intend the evil, those who wish to rule. I pray that you would help us not to be tolerant of evil, but you would help us, Lord, to expose that evil and proclaim the truth. And help us to be those witnesses by the power of your spirit, not simply going out on our own and doing what we want to accomplish, but being led by your Holy Spirit. With your help, Lord, we'll do it. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Now, Acts chapter 2, I covered verses 1 through 4, which I'll cover again. And then we'll move on. And I'm going to give a little bit of uh, clarity and correction from last week. Verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now this day of Pentecost is also a feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament. I talked about this last week and this is where I want some clarification and correction. Now there are the spring feasts. The spring feasts deal with Passover, unleavened bread, Feast of First Fruits, and Pentecost. All of those, the Jews had to observe. Two of those feasts, Passover and Pentecost, had to be observed by grown males going to Jerusalem every year. There was a third one that had to be observed as well, and that was the Feast of Tabernacles. Those were the three major feasts, even though there's more than that. But these were the spring feasts that I just talked about. Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, and the Feast of Pentecost. Now, the Feast of Pentecost, of course, Jesus fulfilled Passover, correct? The unleavened bread, that really refers to Jesus' crucifixion and the time that he's in the grave. And because there was no evil found in him, he was able to resurrect from the dead. And when he resurrected, that's the feast of first fruits. So Jesus is the fulfillment of these things which are a shadow in the Old Testament. The feast of Pentecost was... Uh, the feast that inaugurated the church, the day the church was born. And this is what I just read. This is the day of Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit came. Now, the fall feast, where you have the fall feast of trumpets, the day of atonement, and also the feast of tabernacles. Those are the other three in the fall. Now, they begin this year, they begin on September 26th. Great day to have the fall feast. I love that day. It's a wonderful day. But then you go to all the way to October, October 17th, and all of those feasts fall within that parameter. It's the same time they're celebrating that. Now, I told you last week that there are some, and you can look this up, there are some that teach, and I even gave you this information, that the rapture could take place on the Feast of Tabernacles. That is true. Some teach that. And also some teach that the feast could take place on the feast, or excuse me, the rapture could take place on the Feast of Trumpets. Now, again, this year, it begins September 26th and ends, all of those feasts, they end by September 27th. And so, depending on who you read and what you've studied in the past, the rapture could take place on the Feast of Trumpets or on the Feast of Tabernacles. 
the Feast of Tabernacles. Some would say that that's the millennial reign of Christ. That's how that's going to be fulfilled. And then you have the Day of Atonement, which will be Christ's second coming. And going backwards, you have the Feast of Trumpets, and that would be the rapture of the church. So just for clarification from what I said last week, that's really the layout, of the, the common layout, which is there. But there are fall feasts and there are spring feasts. And we want to make sure we understand Christ is going to fulfill the fall feasts as well. And when we start plugging in the possibilities of what that could be, it could be the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and also the Feast of Tabernacles that will bring to conclusion the time of the Gentiles here on earth and the ushering in of the Millennial Kingdom. Now, just that information alone. You can write all that down and go, now what did he say about that? Which feast were when and the fall feast and the spring feast? You see, just to understand this, you have to have some background information. And it's okay, but we're, I'm taking out the mainspring of the watch and just saying, okay, here's one of those parts that we can go with. Now, going on with this, I started to tell you, well, the Holy Spirit is the one who baptizes. He baptizes us and we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, so to speak. Just like we're baptized in water, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says that Jesus also baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And so by the command of the Father, Jesus does it, and the Holy Spirit is the one who is the agent there. And so we put that all together. And I wanted to give you full information of who the Holy Spirit is. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not electricity. He is a person. He's the one who ministers to us. He is the one that fills people. And I gave you this list last week. And I'm going to run through this list pretty quickly. I won't give you all the scriptures, but I'm just going to tell you what the Holy Spirit does. Again, he fills us. He speaks. The Holy Spirit moves somebody. Remember Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? He was Bimeatskadi and he went to another place. We also have the Spirit who indwells people. He lives inside of us. And remember, I I tried to explain that. How do you get the God who created the universe inside of us? And that that comparison, it's a mystery to us. The spirit also informs or instructs us. The spirit created. We know that Job 33 verse 4, the spirit of God has made me. The breath of the almighty gives me life. And and so the spirit is acting in such a way. A force doesn't do that. Electricity doesn't do that. This isn't like Dr. Frankenstein, that electricity gives life to something that is dead. And then the spirit can be rebelled against. You can't rebel against electricity. Electricity will not have it. Uh, electricity say I'm going my way and you're not going to give me any excuses Uh, the spirit rests upon people on the outside the spirit gives rest the spirit uh, he can be grieved as well and that's by resisting him or sinning if the spirit is called good in the scripture the spirit is called holy Uh, do not cast me from your presence or take your holy spirit from me which was possible in the old testament not in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is with us forever. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Psalm 139 talks about where can you go away from his spirit? He is everywhere. Everything that exists is enveloped by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for us. He goes to the Father and intercedes for us in our weaknesses. The Spirit seals us. And you know what this is. You take a Hallmark card. You 
fold it over, you put some melted wax on there, you put a stamp on it. Well, he has done that with us. We have been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing the things which are to come. And he seals us. And the only person who can open that seal is the person who's authorized, which is God. The Spirit also testifies. He's the one that testifies about Jesus Christ. The Spirit is also omniscient. He knows everything, just like the Father knows everything, just like Jesus knows everything. The Spirit empowers. The Spirit convicts of sin. He, when, especially before we're believers, we have this conscience that God has put inside of us. But the Holy Spirit also comes along and says, don't do it. And the devil and his angels and demons come along and say, go ahead and do it. And and so we have this conflict. We still have that conflict. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent. He has power just like the Father, just like the Son, and the Spirit baptizes disciples. He baptizes them in him. And that's what we're getting to here. Now in verse 5, it says, now there, there we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now, just digress a little bit. They heard the sound like a freight train or a jet engine. And have you ever been down by the airport and heard those engines crank up? Just blazing out there. Or if a, a jet flies low, you, can, you hear the sound. Well, not only were the disciples baptized in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. But this sound was there. And remember, it was just the sound. It wasn't like the wind blowing, but it was just the sound. And the whole city heard the sound. Now, if we hear the sound today, we go, oh, it must be an F-16 or F-35 going overhead or, you know, some helicopters, Blackhawks heading to the desert. We, we know what it is. We don't have to worry about it. But back then, a sound like that would have gotten everybody's attention. And that was the intent that God had. So the people started going, where, where did that come from? And they start running through the streets to find where the sound originated. And there were the disciples. They start pouring out of the upper room. And they meet the people and they go, what is all that? And these disciples who come out, they're speaking like every known language for the people who were in Jerusalem. And the people are turning around going, what in the world? Aren't these guys like Jews? We know they're Galileans. You know, they, they have that funny accent like they're from the south or something. They, the Galileans had an accent <clears throat> as opposed to the other Jews in Jerusalem. And so verse 7 says, utterly amazed, they ask, are not these men who are speaking Galileans? We know who they are, y'all. In verse 8 it says, then how is it? That each of us hears them in our own native language. So you have 120 people coming out and they're speaking all these different languages. It says, Parthenians, Mede, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to uh, Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language or languages. They never went to language school. They just started speaking. Now, wouldn't you like to know a language that is not your uh, first language? You could just pick it up. I was watching this video. A lot of times when you go to foreign countries, 
you will, like for instance, if you went over to Jordan, you went to the city of Petra. The Petra, that it's the carved out of stone there. The first thing you do is you leave the hotel and you have to walk probably, I want to say half a mile or a mile, and you go through this ravine. As soon as you come out of this ravine, and this ravine is narrow, in, in some places it's maybe only 10 feet wide, but it goes up, it looks like 100 feet. So you're in this narrow ravine, you come out, and you see right in front of you the temple in Petra. You'd recognize the picture if you looked it up, but that's what you come out. And around the temple, you have all of these vendors which are there. And these vendors, they want you to buy something from there. You know, Petra commemorative little keychain or whatever. And, and they come up to you and they start talking to you and they know several languages. We had a boy follow us and he was behind us and somebody that was with me spoke Spanish. And I know a few words in Spanish. And I'm going, ¿Qué pasa con esta persona aquí? And then they started talking to me. And this little kid, he started hopping from one language to the next. And I was just astonished that he could do that. I, I don't even know the languages that he was speaking. And then I saw a video of a boy. He knew like 10 languages. And he, he was no older than 10 years old. And he was selling his wares. He had all these languages and he knew what he was saying. Like he had Chinese, he had, um, I think that's Mandarin. He, I think he had Tagalog. Uh, he had some Arab languages. He had English and he just started rattling them all off because the person holding the camera said, what other languages could you speak? And he just starts rattling off the languages. Now, have you ever been to a foreign country or in an environment where they're speaking a different language and you try to understand some meaning of what they're saying? Like if you listen to somebody who is Chinese, I don't get one single syllable of understanding when they speak. I am to, I'm completely lost. But you know what I do on the inside? I, I immediately go to the Spanish that I know and think maybe if I go through Spanish to understand Chinese, I'll make some headway. And it, no, that's not working either. It's a completely different dialect. And it's, it's incredible. You, you just can't do it. You can't make that transfer. And so here, these guys are speaking a language and they may not even understand what they're saying. When it comes to the gift of tongues, one of the things is you're, if you speak in the uh, tongues, you're supposed to pray for the understanding of what you're speaking. But these guys are giving the gospel. They're giving a testimony about Jesus Christ. And it is a supernatural gift. Now, if, do people have that today? I, I am not what is called a cessationist. I believe that people can speak in tongues today. And there are people who say, no, that's only a first century transitional gift from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and it was used during apostolic times. I don't believe that. I've heard examples where that has not been the case. And so, and I don't believe in the cessation, uh, theologically speaking, the people who try to use certain verses to say that this is the case and they use their own reason. I think it's eisegesis, not exegesis again. So what about this tongues? Now, all of us, we have a gift of some kind, at least one. You've heard me talk about this before in the gifts when we went through 1 Corinthians and before when we went through Romans and also Ephesians. We've gone through those and there are gifts. All of us have at least one if we belong to Jesus Christ. You should know what your gift is. And some people say, well, you have a gift mix. It's not just 
one gift. Like if you have the gift of wisdom, hopefully you have the gift of discernment as well. I want to give you the scriptures where you can look these up for yourself if you're in questionable. Where are the gifts in scripture? Romans chapter 12, verse 6, it lists several in there through verse 8. I'm just going to give you the gifts. There's the gift of prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, and leadership, and also mercy. Those are all listed. I like people who have the gift of mercy. Uh, If I ever do anything wrong, I want them in my life because they won't repay me according to what I have done wrong. If I'm down, I want to find a person with the gift of encouragement that comes along. Don't you worry about this. God has a great plan for you. In about a week or two, you're going to be flying high and the Lord wants to bless. That's the type of person I want. I, I don't want somebody that is just all condemning, that lacks mercy. I want somebody who is encouraging. <coughs> Excuse me. Also, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, there are the office gifts. Those are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. That's a particular office that God has set up. And not everybody is an apostle, a prophet, a evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. I hold the office of a teacher, a pastor, a teacher, but I may have complementary gifts with that as well. Maybe at times the Lord has me have discernment or leadership or uh, several gifts that you can mix together. <laughs> Excuse me. Then there is also 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8. We have the gift of wisdom, of knowledge, of faith, of healing, of miraculous powers, of prophecy, of distinguishing between spirits or the gift of discernment, or speaking in tongues or the interpretation of tongues. Now that's a list of the gifts in the New Testament. Are there other gifts besides these? Well, I, I think that there are. Paul talks about one like the gift of celibacy. I don't think I've ever, maybe I've met one person with the gift of celibacy because Paul says God has given one gift to one person and another gift to another person and he wishes all people were like he was. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is single. He is celibate. Not that he wasn't married before, but apparently he now has that particular gift. It's not a gift I want to pray for or ever want to be involved in. I don't want to have the gift of celibacy and I think most people are like that. Then if you go back to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 35, we know that there was Bezalel and Aholiab. Those were two guys that were filled with the Spirit of God. He imbued them with specific ability of craftsmanship where they were able to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, which means they had hand-eye coordination and they could envision or organize in their mind what something would be. Now, those people who were involved in a trade, they, if they've been doing that trade for 30 or 40 years, they don't even have to think about what they're doing. Like an electrician, I'm sure he can just... Oh, yeah, I don't need plants. It's all right. And they just run all the wires and they get everything going where it needs to go. And hooking up a four-way switch would be no problem whatsoever. And if you know what I'm talking about on a four-way switch, it's just like a nightmare spaghetti out there. And it's, it's hard to figure out. But they would just zip it together and you go, okay, no problem. Same thing in my industry. The guys that I know that can pipe irrigation, they don't, they don't need a plan. They can just say, this is it. This is 14 gallons per minute and three-quarter inch schedule 40 PVC pipe. And there's 1.5 gallons per minute per head. And they can figure all that stuff out easily 
and say, I'm just going forward. You know, so the, the person with the gift of craftsmanship can do that. Like, how many dowels do I need? What angle is this going to be on? How do I contemplate a compound angle and cut those things and weaving together and how many threads per stitch, you know, or however they work it out and do they have to count if they do it by hand or is it a weaver's? And they can set up all that stuff. That's the gift of craftsmanship. Are there other gifts besides that? When I took originally the, the gifts uh, course, so to speak, and went through it, there was one gift they talked about, and I thought, well, that can only be used one time, and uh, the gift of martyr. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, you have the gift of being a martyr. Okay, that, that's a one-time gift. You don't get a do-over, uh, you know, on that one. And I'm going, well, maybe God gives you his grace to be a martyr. I understand that. Uh, and are there any other gifts? Some people would say, well, some people have the gift of music, which I, I could see that. It's not listed in Scripture, but could that happen? Well, some people are just born with the right pipes, the nose, the olfactory sense is just right. They can get their tongue going just right and the diaphragm pushing. And you hear it and you go, oh, magnifico. And you think it's just wonderful what they're singing and how they're singing it. It, it, it can move somebody to tears to hear it. Again, you know, I, I try to keep up on the generation that is coming up. I even pulled one on them. There's this uh, phrase. They had never heard about this before. And we were talking about something with being dead or dying. And I said, oh, they're Pepsi. Have you guys heard of that? No. It's the next generation that's coming up. Take Pepsi, flip it over. What does it say? Is dead. And so these people are posting memes going, oh, Pepsi. You know, and the person dies in in the... the video which is there and there's the, all this information which is out there and the accumulation of information and just understanding what lies ahead as far as our gifts are concerned. Do you, do you know if somebody's going to die? If you not know there's, somebody's going to die, do you have information? Do you have knowledge about who they are and what they've done and what they've experienced and what they're thinking and their sins that they've committed? All of that stuff, you, you start looking at this and there's knowledge that we don't have, like the knowledge of languages here, that God gives us supernaturally. So what gift do you have? Do you know? If you don't know, ask God. Say, God, will you reveal what my gift is? And some people say, well, gift of missionary. Okay, well, that means you just go, but they have a gift of ministering to people in foreign languages. Are there other gifts? You know, the singing which, are out, which is out there <coughs> that could, in fact... Be the case, I don't know. I don't want to go beyond what Scripture has to say. But the Holy Spirit, when he fills us, when he baptizes us, he will give us gifts. The gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a gift in and of itself. And so, not to muddy the waters, just to go back, you have the Feast of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit is given comes on the believers. It happened with the loud noise, which is there. They got the gift of tongues. Now, there are other gifts that they had as well. They had the office gift of apostles for at least 12 of them there. And these gifts are to be used for the edification of the body. I don't believe they're supposed to be used for ourselves, but for the body. So like pastors and teachers were given to train up people in the body, disciples, so that they might do good works. So this is the idea and the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm just trying to keep it simple here. Now, verse 12 again says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And 
however, made, or excuse me, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. <clears throat> if you've ever seen somebody who is just drunk out of their mind, they're usually mumbling, right? They'll stumble and mumble. Those two things. And they, they just do whatever. And so that's why somebody who is not familiar with God and his ways or doesn't understand would turn to somebody who's speaking a foreign language, like Chinese, and they go, they're clearly drunk. They don't even know what they're saying. They're Galileans. Where do they get these languages from? And you could see why they would say that. And then it is Peter who stands up and says, with the 11, he raised his voice, verse 14, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on earth below. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's Joel chapter 2, beginning in about verse 28 down to verse 32. And this encompasses the birth of the church all the way to the millennium. That's what those verses encompass because you have wonders in the heavens. When's that going to take place? during the tribulation period. And then you'll have Zion and the blessings that take place. It says, and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That, if you read in Joel, it gives a little more description in there of how there's going to be blessings coming out of Zion. So this is the beginning of the last days, the inception of the church. So how long is the last days right now? It's over 2,000 years. Do you feel old yet? It's like, well, wait. The last days, the Lord's coming right away. Remember, we're dealing with the Lord's timing, not our timing. We get upset if we wait more than five minutes at Starbucks. And God's going, no, it's 2,000 years right now. How much longer do we have? <clears throat> From the inception of the church to about 150 years ago, there was really no technology that was widely available. And all of a sudden, look at us now. It's Dick Tracy. It's going to be, they have flying cars. They just aren't able to put them out on the market because everybody would be crashing together with each other. We have rocket ships that take off and land all by themselves. And you don't even have to do it. You're going to have cars that drive themselves. Quote, unquote. oh, wait, we have that, don't we? <clears throat> all this stuff that is out there, we're just excelling. What do you think is right around the corner? Genetic modification. That's right here. They want to change who you are from the inside. That's the whole thing about the mRNA. When I was reading about that, the vaccine, it can be passed on. Those changes in your DNA will be passed on to your children if you have children. <clears throat> and they want to change who you are. They want to change who you are so that you can live forever in this body. And God's not going to have any of it, I can tell you that. 
He's going to put a stop to that. Well, how long? I, I don't know. Could be next week. Could be September 26th. It could be next year. Don't know when it's going to be, but it is going to be. God told us it's going to happen. Joel talked about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And not those exact terms, but he told us it was going to take place. Okay, so the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's some confusion as to exactly what it is. I'm going to dig into that just a little bit. There are three views of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first one is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit equals water baptism. Church of Christ practices this. Once you get baptized you in water, you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You are baptized into Christ. You are placed into his body. It is synonymous. Water baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think that is an error. They also say in the Church of Christ, you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus only. Even though Matthew chapter 28, the end of the chapter, says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so if somebody gets confused about that, what do you do? I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. You cover all the bases, right? If somebody says, well, I'm not quite sure. We don't have to worry about it. God knows what's going on. And so this idea of water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit being the same thing, it is not true. I want to give you an example of this. They believe that as soon as you're dipped in the water, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I was witnessing once to a guy who was being discipled by another guy in the Church of Christ, the discipler. I happened to meet him on a job I was on. And he came up to me and he started talking to me. Do do I want to know Jesus Christ? I said, absolutely, I do. I want to know who Jesus Christ is. And so he started talking to me. And I said, oh, yeah. And I said, but I have a question of you because I knew this at the time. I said, do you equate baptism in the Holy Spirit with a baptism in the water? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, well, I have a problem with that. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his whole house, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then after that, Paul commanded them to be dipped in water as well. It was a separate event that took place. He turned to me and goes, how do you know this? You read the Bible. And you know, it's in the Bible in that order. And then his disciple came up and said, what do you want? I said, oh, nice to see you too, brother. You know, but, and I believe they're saved. I just believe that the information they have about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a little off. And so the baptism, I believe, the scripture teaches, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is different than baptism in water. Baptism in water is something that we are commanded to do. I think it's a big deal. It's called, quote-unquote, in some churches, a sacrament, as opposed to something that is an ordinance. What is an ordinance? An ordinance is like foot washing you know, or gathering together. That would be an ordinance. But something like baptism in the Catholic Church, there's holy orders, there's marriage, there's <clears throat> giving the last rites. Those things are sacraments in the Catholic Church. We have communion and we have baptism that would be considered a sacrament. Everything else would be considered an ordinance. So uh, this idea that uh, baptism in water and Holy Spirit are the same thing, I think that that is an error. Then there's this idea to be baptized in the Spirit is equal to conversion. It happens at salvation and is part of the conversion process. I don't believe this to be the case according to Scripture as well. To reiterate this in another way, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 says, 
that we are baptized into Christ, which means we are baptized into his death, the verse goes on to say. We are baptized into his body, or we are immersed into his body. If we are immersed into Jesus, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the same thing. We are immersed or baptized into the Holy Spirit. It's all the same thing. It's all the conversion process. It isn't the water baptism. It's the salvation process that this view would purport to be the truth from Scripture. I don't believe that as well. I believe that the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is a secondary event. It's something that happens after the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's also the Catholic view. There is baptism plus confirmation. Confirmation is the imparting of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. So you have the baptism as an infant, and then as the child grows, you have the confirmation. The confirmation is receiving of the Holy Spirit as the priest lays his hands on the individual, and they get the Holy Spirit at that point. Now, could that happen if God wanted it to happen? Yes, it could, but that's not how you do it. That's all works. Get baptized, you know, so things will go well for you for purgatory. And then go ahead and get confirmed, but then do all the works. Don't commit a mortal sin and always say your Hail Marys and Our Fathers. And if you do that and you remain in good standing with the Catholic Church and remain in fellowship, then you get to go to heaven. And it's works. And Paul said, with works, may that person who teaches that other gospel be accursed. And, And so I would say, no, that is not correct either. This idea that you just go through the steps, like you sign up. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go get confirmed today. I'm going to go receive the Holy Spirit today. You know, I just had to read these few things and say these few prayers, and it's all done. That's not how the baptism of the Holy Spirit works. And then there's the Pentecostal understanding of the baptism of the Spirit. <clears throat> that it's an event. It's usually distinct and subsequent to the new birth, which I agree with. Now Calvary Chapel is a church, uh, almost all the Calvary chapels, I believe. Uh, I think we hold to the same thing. They've asked us, if we don't, please become another church. Don't be a Calvary chapel. That you have the infilling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then subsequent to that, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I would believe, just like these Pentecostals. Now, I don't believe in all Pentecostal theology, especially the oneness Pentecostals, who believe that there's modalism that's just... One guy, and he appears as the Father, and appears as the Holy Spirit, and appears as Jesus. I reject that. I think that that is heresy. Also, they believe that it it is an event initially, or it's evident initially, by the speaking of tongues. So if you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. I've heard crazy stories about how they try to get people to speak in tongues. Now, I have what's known as a Honda lawnmower. I used to have Briggs and Stratton snapper lawnmowers. And I would grab that pull cord, put my foot on it, and I would pull. And sometimes it wouldn't start. What would it sound like? You don't want to do it, do you? You know what it would sound like? Right? They, some of the Pentecostal church will come up to you and go, just 
try to do that. And we'll just pull that cord and we'll get you speaking in tongues. And that will be the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And I know one guy who was tied up to do this. He, his name was Mark. He used to play in the uh, worship band with us. And he would go, yeah, these guys like tied me up. And they told me to... It's just crazy nuts to do that. No wonder people think Christians are kooky, you know, and when you have that stuff. And, and then also, they believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit must be earnestly sought after. Like, you have to be so holy and follow Christ and maybe you'll get the baptism of the Holy Spirit after we tie you up and pull the cord, you know, something like that. And it doesn't work like that. The Holy Spirit comes on, you know, the people in the upper room, what do you think they were doing? Motorboating? No, they, they, they were just hanging out, they were praying, they were singing, all of those things, and all of a sudden, the sound and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to leave you with those, and there's some more. I'm going to go into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how it happens, the speaking in tongues, the prophecy, is there always a sign, all of those. We'll get to that next week. My prayer for you is that you, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you would say, okay, God, I, maybe I don't understand this, but I want it. It's a gift. Do you ever fear something that God will give you that's a gift? At Christmas time, do the kids go underneath the Christmas tree, if you have one, go, oh, gifts! Huh? Do they become afraid of the gift? No, God only gives gifts good gifts for us. It's because of the misuse of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit that people are just weirded out. And Paul even warned against that, especially speaking in tongues. He said, if you're all speaking in tongues at one time, people are going to think you're crazy. You need to knock it off. And that's what he told the church in Corinth. So my prayer for you is that if you haven't had it, that you ask for it. And if you've had it, ask for the filling of the Spirit, that you might be that witness in this day and age which is so evil. Let's pray. Father, we, we give you just abundant thanks. You have made these things clear to us. But, Father, I would also pray that you would keep us from error, that you would help us to teach correctly your word, what it says, and teach it correctly. And if we're not teachers, Lord, help us to just have understanding. We know that you can give this to us by your spirit. You provide that. Lord, draw us closer to you. We wish to glorify you in this life. Help us to be submissive to your spirit. In Jesus' name, and the church said, please stand.